it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, you guys, before we get to today's case, we wanted to share some exciting news with you. Yes, we are so excited to announce that we will be starting a live show Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Central on Spotify Greenroom. Yes, if you don't know what Spotify Greenroom is, you need to go download it. It's an app and it's all live audio. So there's all kinds of discussions taking place. Our show is going to be called True Crime Rewind. So definitely find us, follow us so that you'll always be notified when we go live. And we're going to be talking about cases that appear on Dateline, Cold Case Files, and See No Evil. Yes. So every week we will recap one of the episodes that we choose from each of those three um, shows. And then the best part about Spotify Greenroom is it's not just a show where you listen to us talk. You have the opportunity to get up on the stage, what they call it, and you can talk with us. We can have conversations. You can ask questions. We can ask you questions. So you can actually get in on the conversation. Yes, it's so cool. We're actually going to hang out with you for an hour. So every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central, definitely check it out. Go ahead and download Green Room, find us, and we can't wait to hang out with you Tuesday. Yay! Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Oh my God, Tori. I watched the American Crime Story on this. It was like mm-hmm. called The Assassination of Versace. Obviously, it's based on a true story kind of thing, mm-hmm. but Ricky Martin played Johnny Versace's love. Ooh, I like that. I loved it. I was like, ah! I was so excited. <laughs> it's like you don't have enough Ricky. You know what I mean? Like I haven't Never. had enough of him and I haven't no. had any of him in years, you know? Well, you know what? And I am going to go on a limb here and say that he's all, oh. he's all you've ever had. You know? And it's like all coming back to me now. <gasps> well, that's not Ricky Martin. I know. Did you know that? But it, Oh, damn it. Been telling everybody my favorite Ricky song is "It's All Coming Back to Me Now." <laughs> right, you silly bitch. Of course I know that. <laughs> I'm just saying. I met a girl one time who we were talking about our favorite Lionel Richie songs, and she was like, "My favorite Lionel Richie song is I Just Called to Say." Oh, and I was like, "That is Stevie Wonder." Totally Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Uh oh. So her favorite Lionel Richie song is a Stevie Wonder song. Yeah. In the Boston area, we will be staying in New York. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So we're covering Andrew Cunanan. 
I know. Did you? So I watched a thing, the, well, I mean, I guess I can wait on this, but I watched two things on YouTube about it too. And I guess the sheriff or the guy in charge, the police chief or something, he was, he called him Coonanan. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, they could not get his damn right. name down. Coonanan. <laughs> like, yeah. There's so many different. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, guys. It, it, spell it out. Coonanan. I know. Yeah. Well, Coonanan is, but it's the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. I guess so. that's true. Yeah. Um, let's give a hey girl thanks to Malia Mosley, Marsha Glorioso, and Parker Rashid for requesting the case. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. And a big hey girl thanks to Sloan, who did the research and writing for the episode. Yay. All right. So if you're not familiar with the case, basically, Andrew Cunanan was the biggest full of shit person mm-hmm. you will ever have come across, mm-hmm. literally in the whole entire world. But yeah, the whole time that I was watching anything on him, I was like, what a turd. I know he's such a turd. Like, I mean, I got to give him 10 out of 10 for imagination. Yeah. He's like one of those turds that's rolled in glitter. It's like trying to present itself as something better. Oh, 100%. But at the end of the day, it's still just a turd. Yes, 100% still a turd. And the thing about it is he like, he wanted to have this like grandiose life, but he was not willing to work for it. It's like how I am with abs. Like I will Uh do anything Mm -hmm. on planet earth to get abs except for eat better or work out. Exactly. Those, that's where I draw the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he lived off the wealth of his older lovers and off the money from the drugs that he sold and would also use. And... (laughs) His, I just, I'm, it's not, it's not funny, but he's just so fucking ridiculous. I cannot even with him. Like he had to have that, like, you know, the finer things in life kind of appearance. He wanted people to know his name. He had to become famous, like all these things. And unfortunately the path he ended up taking was serial murder. And then eventually the assassination of Johnny Versace. Mm -hmm. Motherfucker. Yep. Andrew, not Versace, of course. Oh, yeah. well, no, 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 no. Okay. Before we jump into the case though, guys, we got to remind you of some places you can come hang out with us on the interwebs. You can fax us always. Just kidding. Yes. You Call me, beat me. You yeah. Can me. Once you get your dial up going, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. We've got two uh, discussion groups, a free one, one for just patrons. On Facebook, we're doing Instagram, Facebook lives every week. Like, jump on there, definitely hang out with us. We're also on Patreon. So if you want bonus episodes, you know, jump in there. We do we do two bonus episodes a week. So per month, you get four bonus episodes just to be a $10 patron or higher. Eight bonus episodes a month. I mean, to show me some. I mean, there's probably like actually other people that do it, but like. I just feel like not a lot of other people do that. Right. And that actually helps our argument right now. Yeah. Oh, what a saving. Exactly. So you can do all this. But wait, there's more. I know. We always have more. So, um, I mean, but all that is like less than the price of just one Tamagotchi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You could get probably three surges for that, but Mm -hmm. that's not eight. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I think we've got, I think we've told the people where to come hang out with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, now let's jump in. We do have some trigger warnings for this episode. There are mentions of S&M, drug and alcohol abuse, suicide, prejudice against different 
races and sexualities and one mention of animal death. So if any of that is not to your listening abilities, that's totally fine. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into it. We're actually going to start at the beginning. Nope. I just no, we're not. We're going to start at the end. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) I was like, you just lied. Um, Yeah. And I was like, hey guys, we're going to do this like totally super weird thing where we start at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. No, we're not actually going to do that at all. Nope. Right at the end. We're going to start at the end. And since you fudged it, I'm going to go ahead and start. I think you should. I think you should. The morning of July 15th, 1997. Great year. That was when the Spice Girls broke into the scene in America. Oh, very exciting stuff. Wow. Gianni Versace and longtime partner Antonio. I, I think it's just D'Amico. D'Amico is what I was going to say. Okay. Antonio D'Amico were at Versace's Miami mansion where they'd arrived five days prior. Versace made his typical morning walk to a nearby newsstand, and by 8.40, he was headed back to his home, unaware that he was being targeted. Andrew Cunanan, <laughs> Cunanan was a fugitive who'd already murdered four men, but his life of extensive lying, drugs, and living off wealthy older boyfriends led him to this moment. Cunanan snuck up behind Versace while the designer was unlocking his gates and shot him twice at point-blank range. Upon hearing the shots, D'Amico ran to the gate, finding Versace bleeding on the stairs. While obviously distraught, D'Amico saw a man calmly walking away. Cunanan was once again on the run, but he'd wind up taking his own life in a houseboat he'd broke into. Leaving no suicide note and having never shared his motives, Cunanan left the world to draw its own conclusions about why he'd murdered two friends, two strangers, and one fashion designer. Mm. Okay. We're going to talk a little bit about Andrew Cunanan, you know, not to glorify him in any way, shape, or form, but to kind of understand his upbringing. And, you know, there's always that question, like, why do some people kill? Yeah. I mean, he could have, you know, we look into, I mean, that's kind of like that evil lives here show. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you talk to the family members and you're like, wow, well, you three turned out completely differently than he did. What happened there? Yeah. Andrew Philip Cunanan was born on August 31st, 1969 in National City, California. He was the youngest child of Pete and Marianne Cunanan. Mary Ann was from Palermo, Italy, and didn't speak English until she went to school. Born to older parents, she called herself a menopause baby. Wow. Her mother died when Mary Ann was 19, so she moved in with her older brother in California, got a job as a telephone operator, and a part-time waitress. Pete Cunanan was a ladies' man. In 1960, while she was waitressing one night, Pete entered. 11 years older and dressed in a white tuxedo, Mary Ann and the Navy man from Balawag danced all night. Bailiwag. Sorry, people. I'm from Tennessee. Yes. Pete believed that he was made for great things. So despite being promised to someone else, Marianne and Pete got married. Marianne at that point was already six months pregnant. Christopher was born in 1961. After a move to New York, Marianne gave birth to their second child in 1963. Blonde, blue-eyed Elena had Pete convinced that she wasn't his daughter. Yikes. And he actually would later say that Marianne was the mother of four and he was the father of three. Ouch. That had to hurt Elena. He was a fucking douchebag. I'm just going to say it. Like, he was a Mm -hmm. douchebag. I hate this guy. Yeah. And we'll get into more of that. Exactly. In 1966, during the Vietnam War, Pete was deployed and Marianne was left to care for their kids and stressed about their already unhappy marriage. Pete was unhappy, too, and was taking out his rage on Marianne. He abused her physically and emotionally. Marianne's mental stability was always fragile, and Pete's treatment didn't help. 
And he seemed to use that against her a Mm -hmm. lot, you know, like throwing it in her face that, you know, about her mental stability or whatever. He's just such a jerk. Mm -hmm. Money was a huge source of conflict for them. While most of her spending was on things for the kids, Pete considered it frivolous. How many times have we seen this? (laughs) He had three bank accounts and only one of them was accessible to Marianne. How was he spending his money on? Exactly. That's none of her business. <laughs> Frankly, and none of yours either. <laughs> However, while Marianne's spending seemed frivolous to Pete, he spent lavishly on himself. Because if it's on you, though, you know what I mean? Yeah, like That's different. It's different, yeah. Well, and by you, you mean Pete, because if Marianne happened to have spent it on herself. Oh my God, that's frivolous. Yeah. Yeah. Because Marianne's spending Pete's money. I think that's important mm-hmm. to remember. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't work, see? She doesn't do any work. Even in this acrimonious marriage, Marianne got pregnant two more times. First, in 1967, she gave birth to Regina, who went by Gina, and then two years later, Andrew. They bought a house in National City, California, and were staying together. After Andrew's birth, Marianne fell into severe postpartum depression that affected her so significantly she couldn't care for herself. Marianne was hospitalized for three months, leaving Pete to care for newborn Andrew and his three older siblings. Pete boasted that he, quote, raised Andrew. <laughs> we don't know. We don't even have to comment on it, I guess. No. He proudly remembered when Andrew was little, he stepped on a floor heater and burned his foot. But despite the bad burn, Andrew didn't cry. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good for you. You're such a good parent that you taught him to not feel emotions or feelings. <laughs> exactly. You produced a psychopath or sociopath. Like, cool. Yeah. Great. Exactly. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Andrew was the, quote, little prince of the family. Marianne would call Christopher and Elena street kids, but Gina and Andrew were given everything, especially Andrew. Why? It's awful. Like It is awful. Yeah. Street kids? Street Jesus. kids, yeah. Pete retired from the Navy in 1972 and decided to become a stockbroker, thinking this would make him rich and give him the status that he craved. Like, okay, so you see, it's like, oh, well, I wonder where Andrew gets it, right? Like, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Marianne was debating if she could use the inheritance she got from her father to leave Pete. Instead, they bought a bigger, more expensive house. 
They weren't rich, but the Cunanans made sure Andrew had everything the rich kids had. Andrew was extroverted, precocious, and happy as a child. Pete and Marianne believed that Prince Andrew was a genius. In junior high, he was accepted into the MGM program, and this required a student's IQ to test at 132 or higher. Andrew had been evaluated in third grade with an IQ of 147. Nevertheless, teachers of Andrew's didn't see him as exceptionally intelligent. Numerous sources reported when Andrew was 7 to 10 years old, he read the Bible and memorized the encyclopedia. Those sources are specifically from his father and mother. No, yeah. I'm kidding. I don't really Pro- know. Posture, I mean, probably. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. In the Canaan house, Pete had strict and unyielding rules. Marianne was required to keep the house completely spotless. There were even plastic runners on the carpet. Jeez. Now we're getting into Fran Drescher's mom's house. Yeah, I was going to say the nanny all the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Sylvia? Oh, yes, it's Sylvia. Sylvia Fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sylvia Fine. Marianne <laughs> was very Catholic. She dreamt Andrew would grow up to be a Catholic priest. Oh, that's a, a big shoes to fill. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. Andrew was an altar boy, and at least as a child, the principles and beliefs he'd been taught in the Catholic Church made a significant impact on him, but he would later battle with those beliefs. Rather than hang out with friends and ride bikes, Andrew preferred to read and watch TV, and sometimes Marianne would shoo away kids who came to the door looking for Andrew, frequently telling him, you can't do that. It was hard to predict Marianne's moods and actions. She was described as needy and smothering. She claims that when he was a child, she and Andrew were inseparable, which made Pete Cunanan angry. Maureen Orth wrote that Marianne was helping create a personality who began to see himself as superior, which his father encouraged. And this is in um, the book she wrote. I believe it's called Vulgar Favors. It is called Vulgar Favors, yes. Thank you. Andrew and Pete's relationship was odd, too, with pet names and using baby talk well into Andrew's teenage years. Hmm. Just super weird. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Pete was a flopping stockbroker. He left one job after two years and was fired from the next job after 13 months, but he continued to spend money to excess. Andrew dressed in suits frequently, and after middle school, he attended a prestigious private school with a tuition to match. When Andrew attended Bishops, the annual tuition was 4000 to 6200 So that's like 11000 to 17000 today per year. Jeez, that's so much money. On friggin' high school. Mm-hmm. Very few students received financial aid, and the ones that did only got about $1,500. All this on Pete's occasional income, which never exceeded $50,000 annually. And they have four kids. Two mm-hmm. of them don't matter, but... They do have four kids. So it's like, how are you feeding all of your kids, paying for your big extravagant house and sending him to bishops? Well, and his frivolous, lavish Uh spending. Yeah. Yeah. Just, can you imagine being one of these other kids? No, not even a little bit. Especially the older two. uh Uh-huh. Okay, I'll just go fuck myself. Uh, Andrew's going to go to bishops. Cool. Um, Yeah. I'll just- Christopher and Elena can go fuck off. Yeah. I'll just read a book and see how that goes. Like, my God. Andrew was loud and demanded attention. I wonder why. I wonder why he started to demand attention. Some people he went to school with described him as fun to watch, like when you can't take your eyes off of a disaster, kind of fun to watch. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like he's the fucking worst, but he's at least interesting to see <laughs> crash and burn. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Andrew never allowed his parents to attend anything at the school, and no one knew that Andrew was half Filipino. Bishops was in La Jolla where until the 1950s, you know, at that time, they were referred to as African-Americans, 
were only allowed to live on two specific streets, and that was for maids and chauffeurs. And Jewish people weren't allowed at all until the 70s. And anyone in the gay community had to remain closeted. Wow. Fantastic. Strict rules. Yeah. Yeah. La Jolla is very expensive. Like, very. Wow. They sure think a lot of themselves, obviously. They do. They do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just nice white kids out in La Jolla. Right. My God. Nice white kids. (laughs) What was that in? It's from Hairspray. Hairspray. Yeah. Just like, okay, great. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. With the area they lived in, Andrew kept his sexuality, race, and family's financial status a secret. I mean, he literally kept his entire being a secret. It's like uh, Melanie Carmichael in Sweet Home Alabama. (gasps) You mean Melanie Smooter. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Smooter. Earl and Pearl. (laughs) sweet people. You want some of that bologna cake in the fridge? (laughs) Oh God, so much bologna. So much bologna. But Andrew felt like he was entitled to this. I'm sorry. Now that I think about bologna, I can only think of Judge Judy. Bologna! (laughs) Bologna is is really like six degrees of, you know, like animal byproducts. Um, (laughs) My bologna has a first name. Oh my God. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) I want to so bad, but I'm not going to do it. This is what we in the biz call restraint. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Demonstrating it well. Good job. Thanks. But Andrew literally felt like he was entitled to the same life that everybody else was living around him who were actually making money. Yeah, but that's the thing. If you spoil a kid so much when they're little and you tell them they are Prince Andrew, refer to them as Prince Andrew, and literally are like, whatever you want, baby. And then he sees that his siblings are getting less than he is. What's that going to do to him? Oh, 100%. (laughs) You know, I wonder how the first two came out. Maybe the trick is to call your kids street kids. Don't feed them. Make them figure it out on their own and they turn out great. Yeah, right? I'm like, they used every, I'm sure, every derogatory term that anybody used for Aladdin. Like, okay, street rat. Mm -hmm. Little riffraff. Yep. Street urchin. I just cannot even, I don't know. It makes me so sad because it's like, there's just so many kids that go through stuff like this and worse. And it's just, it's so sad. Like, Mm -hmm. I just don't understand it. How do you raise a child and not have an emotional connection to them? I have no idea. And not want to see them just do the best that they can. You want to give them the things that they need. They don't have to have everything they want. Mm-hmm. Give the, if, you're, if you're not giving Andrew everything he wants, then all of your children have everything they need. Well, that's admirable. And I'm not saying that having a child not by blood means that you can treat them a specific type of way. But I would almost, I wouldn't understand it, but it would... I could be like, oh, that's the reason. Mm-hmm. If they were like stepchildren of hers. Right, yeah. Adopted by him, something like that. Yeah. But they're biologically hers. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure his too. Yeah. But it right, doesn't yeah. make any sense. I mean, he doesn't, he does not claim Alina or Elena. I'm calling her Elena. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't claim her at all. Uh-uh. But such a great guy. I just love yeah. him. Yeah. What a fucking dick. I know. Even at a young age, Andrew developed a taste for the finer things. He once attended a classmate's 12th birthday party and was disappointed that there was only tap water and no, I don't even know how you, I've seen this water. Is it Perrier? Yeah. (laughs) He told peers he frequently went to foreign countries and spent summers there. 
His lies became tiring to his school friends who stopped associating with him. Well, I mean, (laughs) you can't lie about everything Mm -hmm. and expect people to keep on believing you. Yeah. He, like, these are, a lot of the lies that he would tell were pretty easy to fact check. Mm -hmm. And so people did that. And then they're like, okay. And they would call him out on shit. And he would just be like, well, what does it matter? Or, you know, he would just move on to somebody else or, you know, whatever it was like. Mm -hmm. It was never his problem or his fault. And that's a sign of a sociopath too, because he didn't, he didn't care. A lot of people, if you lie about something and you get busted, you're embarrassed. That never embarrassed him or phased him one bit. He would just go on doing whatever he wanted to do, saying whatever he wanted to say. Mm -mm. Well, and even if he didn't lie, let's say that he didn't lie. That kind of personality type, like, oh, (laughs) gross you only have tap water you don't have perrier (laughs) disgusting Mm -hmm. that's not going to i would think it wouldn't get me it wouldn't help me to be friends with somebody i'll just say that exactly yeah i think a lot of people don't like that well yeah unless you have like all you're only only the people that you hang out with or whatever are just like (laughs) oh how silly Mm -hmm. tap water yeah it's like um in white chicks where they're like going back and doing the the zingers or whatever. <laughs> That's such a mm. stupid thing to say, but I can't think of anything. They're like, you know, whatever. And the girl is like, you probably like when you get to a restaurant, you probably ask the waiter for a Nikois salad. <laughs> yes. Instead of a Niswa salad. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. Like that's a joke <laughs> that Andrew probably told. Yeah, 100%. Jokes. That's what I was trying to say, jokes. Anyway. Uh, Zingers. Wow, yeah, zingers. When Andrew was 14, uh, he was a freshman in high school, he had to miss a field trip because he was sick, and he threw an absolute fucking tantrum. So what does Pete do? He needs to (laughs) cheer Andrew up. He buys him a brand new sports car. He's 14! And he was sick. Uh Uh-huh. And the older children did not have cars. (laughs) Right. Like, come on. Not new cars anyway. Right. Andrew was also struggling with internal (sighs) issues in a seriously dysfunctional family. He was secretly questioning his sexuality and decided that suppressing these feelings was best for now. He'd become the keystone in his parents' marriage. He was like an emotional stand-in husband to his mom, which is like super weird. But she leaned on him for the emotional support she didn't get from Pete. And I don't know if it just took her like a really long time to be like, He's never going to emotionally support me, but I don't think he ever did. Yeah, I was going to say, so all of the emotional support that she got came from Andrew. He's never been able to do that, I don't think. Mm -mm. But Andrew was keeping a lot of big secrets at this time. His sexuality, his unstable mother, his abusive father, even his race. He, like, he's having to keep up with his elaborate lies, but all of that still he still is becoming more and more entitled. He's feeling more and more superior. Like, it's so weird because it's like, you have all these things that you're pushing down, right? Like, uh uh-uh. Well, but that's why people do it. Yeah. To make themselves feel better about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Just how do you keep up with all that? I mean, and he didn't. He couldn't always do it. He just didn't care if he got caught. (laughs) Right. It does seem incredibly overwhelming and uh, exhausting, but... I would think so, yeah. Elizabeth Oglesby, a psychologist who also lived next door to Andrew for a while, said narcissists look at people as objects they can consume or use. His parents were just there to serve, adore, or cater to him. Andrew was the one running the house. When they moved into another new, more expensive house in La Jolla, 
His parents gave Andrew the master bedroom. Wow. Mary Ann slept in the, quote, maid's room, and Pete slept on the couch. And Andrew was given his own credit card that he tapped out quickly. He's in high school. No, but he's running that shit. Oh, my God. At this time, he also starts confessing to pretty much everyone outside his home that he was gay. However, he would never blatantly tell his parents, and his sexuality would be unspoken and completely ignored by his parents. Wow. Andrew graduated high school and enrolled in the University of California, San Diego. So at this point, Pete has two kids in college, two homes with mortgages because they had mortgaged the first home to buy the bigger home in La Jolla because they don't have any fucking money. And three people who spent money excessively. But he'd been fired from his job in September and was in incredible debt. But none of that stopped him. He's so materialistic. He's not thinking like, I don't have any way of bringing money in. It's just like, let me keep shopping until somebody figures it out, basically. Yeah, and let me just show everybody the trappings of my, like, you know, lavish lifestyle. That is a complete facade. Yes, yes. And he hadn't been working for a while, but he was still spending money. He was buying still new fancy suits, car. Like, what are you (laughs) going to do with the suit? Yeah, right. You want to wear that around the house? Like, you don't have a job, dude. Like, wow. Pete was accused of embezzling money from his clients at the last job, including a 90-year-old woman and cleaning them out. He basically Lou Pearlman them. Yes, he did. You know, but just like, I guess in a slightly different way. But, you know, he would tell them like, oh, I've got this stock and you're definitely going to want to get in on it. And he would prey on these older people. And he'd be like, let me take all of your money and invest it in something that will help you. Uh-huh. And then he'd be like, oh, shoot. When they'd call back like, oof, man, this is awful. That stock took a shit. Not my fault. Can't do anything about that. Very unexpected. Um, I do have another stock, though, to, that I think is going to get win your money back in like more. So go ahead and give me some more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just awful. So to get out of this mess, Pete spent two months of 1988 selling his fancy car, taking out very high mortgages on the houses, and ripping off someone he tried to make a deal with. And then he just fled to the Philippines. Like, Legit just fucking left. He sold the family home without telling anyone. They were still Mm-mm. there. <laughs> yeah. And he left Marianne pretty much nothing. She was married to him for 27 years and she had $700 in his $650 a month Navy pension check. Wow. That's it. And then when he leaves, Andrew and Gina have to quit college. They have to deal with their mother's mental deterioration. She is all the time threatening suicide. I mean, she is not well. And this is a breaking point for her. Like, can you imagine? Wow. I've got four kids to take care of and you fucking just bounced. Oh, and sold our home that we were living in. (laughs) Right. Your entire family, your wife and four children. And it's not even like he sold the house and gave them the money, you know, or whatever. Like they, they literally have no way to have anywhere to live. Like, well, yeah, he left them with literally negative. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Andrew's friend Liz Choate offered for him to move in with her and her fiance in Berkeley, which was basically next door to, quote, the most liberated gay community in America, the Castro District in San Francisco. Andrew spent the majority of his life in gay bars. He claimed his parents lived on Fifth Avenue, that he had graduated from this very prestigious college preparatory boarding school in Connecticut. It looks like Choate to me. I'm not fancy. It may not be that. So don't make fun (laughs) of me. 
and then went to Bennington and Yale, and that he'd been married and had a daughter using a picture of Liz and her daughter, claiming his wife was a Jewish princess. Andrew was creative, but not believable. Why a Jewish princess? Like, come on. Just if you're going to come up with a lie, make it semi-believable. Right. Like, like I used to be married and I have a daughter. Okay, fine. Or I, like, I used to be married to a Jewish princess and I went to Yale and I went to, you know, like. Well, I mean, it'd be more believable if you said my, I used to be married. My wife is the heir to the, to a coffee empire. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like, come on. Right. Just ridiculous. To a ranch dressing empire. (laughs) That would be cool. I love ranch dressing. Be very cool. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In 1990, Gianni Versace designed costumes for the San Francisco Opera. He came to San Francisco with partner Antonio D'Amico to see the opera. As an openly gay man, during their first trip to San Francisco, Versace enjoyed visiting local gay bars so he could socialize with gay members of the community. He and D'Amico went to the Colossus Bar on Sundays, and this is where Andrew Cunanan and Gianni Versace intersected. Andrew went to the Colossus the same night Versace was there after being invited to into the VIP section by his friend. Versace saw him and seemed to make mistake him for someone he knew. So what basically what happened was he looks at Andrew Cunanan and he's like, oh, it's been a while since I've seen you. And he says a name. And Andrew was like, oh, thanks so much for remembering me. Like he totally just like went along with it. Yeah. And completely said like, yeah, it's been a long time. Uh-huh. And then just, yeah. He's so stupid. Mm-hmm. In 1991, Andrew moved in with his mom in a two-bedroom apartment in Rancho Bernardo. Wow. Andrew re-enrolled in the University of California, San Diego to major in history and got a job at Thrifty Drugstore. Ew, uh, a job. I know. I'm shocked that he got a job, especially one so degrading like a drugstore. Ew. Uh, I, I'm, I have to wash my hands. Gross. <laughs> exactly. 
living with his mother was trying for Andrew because of her tendency to talk and smoke constantly and threaten suicide frequently. Her eccentricities got to Andrew once in 1993 when he slammed her against the wall, breaking her shoulder. He took her to the ER, threatening to kill her if she told what really happened. That's great. Andrew controlled his mom and treated her like a child he regretted having. When he slept, Marianne was to be silent no matter how late he slept into the afternoon. Jeez. I mean, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Andrew would spend his nights out in, using the name Andrew De Silva. He claimed he was a student at Yale and heir to whatever fortune his family supposedly had. He told people that he had his PhD, and when he met older men with money to spare, he would ingratiate himself to them. Some people call him out for the fact that his timelines made no sense, but Andrew would change the subject. Again, like, not really bothered by Mm -mm. being called out, just kind of like, okay, well, look over there. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay, I'm so glad you brought this other subject up. Let's talk about that. Exactly. Andrew's goal was to be a kept boy. He wanted to live with a rich older man paying for everything he wanted. Kind of like being someone's pet. Somehow, Andrew always had money to flash, claiming he went to dinner with Versace once a year, and his father was in the Israeli intelligence. When people saw his busted car, he'd say it was his maid's. Why would he need to drive his maid's car? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, okay. Andrew's lies continued to distance his friends. Either friends got tired of his bullshit and decided they couldn't be friends anymore, they found it funny that he was a bullshitter, or they felt bad for him, like his friend, Jeff Trail. Oh, Jeff Trail. I know. I didn't just watch the American Crime Story thing, but I did watch it and it was really good. But Finn Whitrock played Jeff Trail in the show. Ooh, he's fine. Okay, I was like, do you know who he is? Yeah, he was like in Ratchet. He is fucking fine. I mean- He's fine. I, like when he was in, I first Ratchet. saw him in American, <laughs> yeah. I first saw him in American Horror Story in The Clown One. Oh, yeah. He was dandy. Yes. And I did not think he was hot in that. I mean, I th- no, when he, he took his shirt off, I was like, well, he's built, but he's not cute, right? Well, but the personality behind dandy was Yeah, very... and they did his hair different. And I don't know, all kind of stuff. I mean, he's a fantastic actor. Like, a fantastic actor. And then I saw him in Ratchet, and I was like, no, he's fucking hot. So yeah, when no, I no, saw no. him, I was like, yay, it's him. <laughs> I was so excited. Yes, fine. Yeah, he is. Fine. Okay. <laughs> now. We'll talk about... And Jeff Trail was such a sweet guy. Like... And fine, too. He was. He was. Mm -hmm. He was handsome. He was engaging. He was loyal, trustworthy. I mean, all the good things you can think about to describe somebody. He was such a good guy. He was the youngest child to Stan and Ann Trail. Ann was an elementary school teacher with four kids, and Stan was a math professor with three kids. They met and married, and then Jeff is their only child together. They are legit okay, the, brave the brave bunch. Ones. Yeah, it's so cute. He was younger than his half siblings. Stan and Anne. Oh my god, I didn't even put that together. Mm-hmm. Stan and Anne, adorable. <laughs> but he was younger than his half siblings by at least nine years. So it's like, what do they call that? Like, um, it's basically like starting over, where like your youngest is basically an only child because the older ones are so much older. Yes, yes. It's like called something, but I don't remember. Jeff was very conservative and decided when he was young that he wanted to go into the military like some of his older siblings. He wanted to be a Top Gun pilot. That's so cute. He wanted to fly into the danger zone. Oh, he did. Mm -hmm. Why do you know that song that well? Because I just know it. (laughs) I'm a citizen of the world. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Jeff earned 19 college credits while he was in high school. 
He was described by one of his honors teachers as an ideal kid. Jeff was going to be a significant person, strong values, great code of ethics, a sense of academic vigor, and a wonderful sense of self, and a very supportive family, obviously. It's like, why? 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 Right? They're like, the first time I looked into his eyes, it was like looking at Jesus. I know. Yes, when he Angels spoke, I felt like sing. I was... Yeah. Yes, I felt like I was listening to the Beatles. Yes. And now he's gone. I just... Ugh. Jeff got into Annapolis and was hit by how difficult it was. He wasn't a quitter and eventually graduated 839th out of 950 in May of 1991. I would quit. So that's yep. amazing. <laughs> I would just big fat be like, well, that was hard. No, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Too hard. After graduating, Jeff was sent to San Diego to surface warfare officer. Off, mm, my gosh. Whoa. Surface warfare officer school. That is a tough, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. I was a titty twister. <laughs> I guess if it's that bad, it could, it could be, yeah. Yeah, I'll reach right up there and get you. Get you. Starting his military life was slightly difficult for Jeff in this time of don't ask, don't tell. It was illegal to be gay in the military. Jeff had gone on dates with women before, but had come to the realization that he was gay. And once in San Diego, Jeff had his first encounter with a man. Jeff was struggling with his sexuality and what that meant in regards to being in the Navy. Jeff lived every day in fear that he would be discovered, which is... Makes me so sad because... Yeah. So some of the strongest people I know are gay. Some of the strongest people I know are straight. But the point is, we're all people. Mm -hmm. We have the same abilities. We have the same, you know, some people are stronger than others and other things. But your sexual orientation does not determine that. No, no. And to be fair, some of my most favorite people in the world are gay. So yeah. I can't, I have nothing but good things to say. It's just so antiquated to think that like... Yeah, that a gay man or women of any type can't be in the military. Like, there's a, it's just so ridiculous. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, we don't even have to explain. It's just so fucking ridiculous. I can't even. It is. Like, I, I just and can't believe it was ever a thing. I know, but I do think, of course, it's important to point out that we don't, we don't agree with these, the way things no. used to be, but it was a different time. It was. It was. I mean, there were things that people were, told and had been ingrained in them since they were little like it sucks that that's what that's what the belief was because it's well and unfortunately there are a lot of different facets or areas of life that have taken a very long time to become more open-minded like religion a lot of times military police you know things like that it's like they, they're not open-minded in a lot a lot of times for a lot of different things so yeah Sure. Just takes them a little longer, and we still have a lot, lot more to go. A lot more to go. But Jeff was a great sailor. He was a great leader. He was constantly at risk of being outed, though. In 1992, 48 Hours did a piece on Don't Ask, Don't Tell and interviewed gay military men anonym anonymously, including Jeff. And Jeff said, I'm not able to share my life with those around me. About this time, Jeff meets Andrew Cunanan, which is like... You the just, worst thing you could Yeah, ever you have. just wish that they had never come into contact, you know? Mm -hmm. Jeff was impressed by Andrew's ability to be utterly flamboyant. Andrew would be Jeff's wingman and introduced him to many single attractive men. And Andrew's influence seemed to kind of loosen Jeff up. And soon he was in gay karaoke bars, singing and having sexual encounters in men rooms through a glory hole. Men rooms? What's a men room? Is that what I said? You sure did. Golly. I can't talk today. 
The only experience I've ever had with the glory hole um, oh. is seeing it in sweetest thing. Yes, the sweetest thing. You it's look my like my little dog Buffy. No, Buffy. It was oh, Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love the part troll. It's today the part where Christina Applegate tells her at the end. She's like, Cameron Diaz is like, how it really hurts. Can you look at it? And she's like, yeah, honey, let me look at it. She's like, I think you might be pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because she gets poked in the eye by a peen. <laughs> she does. He goes, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the way he says it, surprise. That's, you know, the extent of my knowledge of it. Right. But, and again, like, super sucks that that's what you had to do. It really super sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Just Why ridiculous. can't people just be themselves? I know. But Jeff was still very conservative and he would not stand for drugs. He wasn't aware Andrew was seriously into dealing and using drugs, but when people warned him, Jeff wouldn't listen. He kind of had a blind spot when it came to Andrew. He saw Andrew as somebody that needed him. I mean, he felt pretty sorry for him. I mean, just legitimately. Andrew had access to many prescription pain medications and anxiety medications. He could get Augmentin, which I don't really know why you'd want to get that. It's just an antibiotic and it's fucking huge. It's a horse pill. Yeah. It's a very strong antibiotic. Yeah. Like anytime I've had strep throat, they're like, here, shove a watermelon down your sore throat. Like, (laughs) and, um, it's best to take it dry. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But he also you know, was getting into drugs like crystal meth. Jeff didn't see it. That's a big jump from... From Augmentin. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't mean mean to laugh, but it's like... It's like, um, hey man, you want to buy some Augmentin? You'll want it the next time you get a strep throat. Or I have crystal meth, whichever one. Oh my God, I know. Like, well, um, I can see that you're low on your Augmentins. I guess I'll take some crystal meth on top of that. Yeah. Will that help my strep throat? Sure. Right. What is the bubble gum kind? What is it called? Uh, amoxicillin. What are you taking? Yeah, they're out of amoxicillin. For? <laughs> but I mean, if they're out of amoxicillin, like liquid amoxicillin, just go for whatever's yeah next up. You know, whatever's popular on the street. Yeah, augmenting shit. Yeah, shit's expensive, <laughs> and that's just funny. It is. <laughs> it's funny. Back in 1993, Andrew started using crystal meth regularly, and he was spending about four thousand dollars a month on crystal meth. Okay. And again, I got to go back to the augment and I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was a gateway drug. <laughs> I didn't either. I've taken augment several times. Am I in danger? I'm very worried for you. And again, let's just go ahead and point that out. We are not making fun of drug use or drug addiction. Absolutely It's not. just augmenting was a very surprising drug to have. Yeah. 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 For him to uh, be like, well, I can get augmenting. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe there's something about it. I don't know, but that's interesting. So augment and side effects are nausea, vomiting, headache, diarrhea, gas, stomach pain. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. You want to do some augment later? Uh, yes. And one of the good things about it is that it can treat some the same bacteria as amoxicillin, but it's also effective against harder to treat infections, including sinus infections. Oh, okay. I see why someone would want to take it recreationally. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or maybe it's just like, hey, you might want the meth, and then I've got some augmentant for your granny. <laughs> exactly. One stop shop. Yes. You have some sniffles, so go ahead and take two twice a day. Yeah. With food. Yeah. Oh, you're going to want it with food for sure. Yeah. Okay. So he's spending $4,000 a month on crystal meth, some for him to keep, but some for him to sell. According to Vulgar Favors, crystal meth was cheaper than cocaine and helped the more 
With Andrew's addiction to Crystal, he stayed awake for days on end, and then in order to get some sleep, he'd dose himself heavily with Vicodin, Xanax, or Valium. See, and now we've now we're in a situation where you got to take uppers to stay awake and then downers to go to sleep. Yeah, and that's what we in the biz call balance. Mm. You know? Mm, okay. I'm not looking at it correctly. What I'm worried about is overdosing. Well, sure. Your entire nervous system, respiratory system, all the things are affected. Yeah. And now you're completely dependent on something to wake up and then something to fall asleep. It's very dangerous. Well, and the extent of my knowledge on that is a lot of times I've heard about it with celebrities, you know, like Michael Jackson mm-hmm. had to do similar a similar practice. Heath Ledger, like, yeah. and look how they turned out. Well, right. And you're mixing things that don't go together. <laughs> yeah. Without a doctor looking at it and being able to discern which drugs can go together and which drugs cannot go together. And then you have to take into account your medical history, your anatomy, physiology, like all the things. And I mean, a lot of doctors are really, really bad about this. I have a friend who is prescribed uppers in the morning and then downers to go to sleep. Like, why would you do that to somebody? Like, right. it just seems like a lot. And I mean, doctors are really bad about just throwing meds at people too. But when you're creating your own medication system schedule, whatever it is, I mean, it is, it's scary. It's very mm-hmm. scary. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So at this point, Jeff's career takes a really big hit in the Navy. He'd been waiting for someone to find out his sexuality and he'd be discharged. But instead, when the Navy decided that they would be complying with the EPA regulations regarding the disposal of hazardous material, his men tried to get around it. And since he was the leader, Jeff's career was irreparably damaged. So in May 1996, he left the Navy as a lieutenant. That sucks. Like, Mm -hmm. I've seen this happen with other people that I know where it's like somebody under you fucked something up and there's no possible way, you know, like, I mean, I guess, I don't know. Are you supposed to go back and like double check every single thing that they do? Isn't that why they're there so that you don't have to double check everything that they do? But it ends up going, you know, it's a black mark on the person who... Yeah. Is above I mean, them. It, it falls on you. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It's really sad. Okay, so now we're going to get into Andrew, Lincoln, and Norman. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Aston, an oil tycoon, became involved with Andrew Cannon, so Andrew finally got to be a kept boy. Andrew was barnacled to Lincoln. I love that, barnacled. Mm-hmm. To Lincoln to the point that others were uncomfortable with the fact that he acted like Lincoln's bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Andrew De Silva had developed a line of bullshit that probed the feelings of older, rich gay men. He would say that he'd been married once and that he came out of the closet. 
or that when he came out of the closet, his parents rejected him and tossed him out. The older men could relate to the fact that Andrew had been rejected by his family for coming out and that he had once been married in an attempt to live a, quote, normal lifestyle. Then Lincoln learned no one really knew Andrew and lost interest in dealing with him. He decided that he needed to cut ties, offering to pay Andrew 20000 to 30000 to basically GTFO. Wow. That's mm-hmm. pretty bad you got to be able to look at that and be like, I suck so much that he is paying me this much money to leave him the fuck alone. Right. I'm sure Andrew was like, wow, his loss. I mean, wow, he gave me that much money. That's how that's how amazing I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's he's going to yeah. see the, the bright side there. Someone disgusting probably would have only gotten $10,000. So, yeah. Unfortunately, on May 19th, 1995, Lincoln was beaten to death in his home. A drifter was eventually convicted of the murder. He'd been picked up in a bar by Lincoln and taken to Lincoln's house. While most people thought that the true murderer was Andrew, the drifter confessed and was put into prison. Case closed. I wonder about that. I do too. What are the fucking odds? Well, we'll get into why. Yeah. But there's a certain MO that makes sense for that. Uh Uh-huh. Through Lincoln, Andrew met Norman Blatchford. Norman was 58 when he met Andrew Cananen. Norman lived in Phoenix, but visited La Jolla regularly. Norman's partner of almost 30 years had recently died of AIDS, and Norman was also very wealthy after selling his company. Needless to say, Norman appealed to Andrew, and since Norman was alone now, the two began a relationship. Andrew would visit Norman in Phoenix, and the pair would travel often. Two months after Lincoln's murder, Andrew moved into Norman's La Jolla condo. Norman was taking care of Andrew's every want. Norman bought Andrew an infinity for $33,000, which would be 58000 today. He paid off his credit cards and gave him an allowance of $2,500 a month, which would be about 5000 a month now. Wow. Not too shabby Not for too old shabby. Andrew. Mm-mm. However, though Andrew and Norman slept in the same room, they had sl- separate twin beds in a master room, kind of like Lucy and Ricky. That's interesting. Sometimes it sounds nice, but... Andrew convinced Norman to sell his home in Phoenix and buy a house on Mount Soledad overlooking La Jolla. Andrew happened to know a perfect listing for a recently vacated home, Lincoln Aston's home. My God. That's disgusting. It is. Norman bought the home and continued to finance Andrew's lifestyle, but when Norman offered to pay for Andrew to go back to college and finish his degree, Andrew refused. Ew, college, ew, work, ew. <laughs> He's such a jerk. Like, He's okay, jerk. you're paying for all, like Norman just genuinely wanted to see him do well. Yeah, well, and I'm sure he thought, because for a lot of people, doing something with your life is fulfilling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not to Andrew. Not to Andrew. <laughs> not to Andrew. No. Okay. Andrew was just completely happy. Exactly. All right, now Andrew meets David Madsen. This is November 1995 in a San Francisco bar. Blonde-haired, blue-eyed David Madsen was described in many flattering ways, vivacious, talented, accomplished, charismatic, and hardworking. I mean, he, again, like, amazing person. Just amazing person with so much ahead of him. Like, Mm -hmm. it just sucks. David had attended the University of Minnesota, earning a degree in architecture in 1995. Orth described David as the quintessential Boy Scout, taking groceries to the needy at Christmas, helping others to learn. He taught aerobics, skiing, and swimming. David was the youngest of four children to Howard and Carol Madsen. David had been in musicals in high school, loved to be the center of attention, was a, quote, peacemaker, and grew up learning the value of hard work and religion. 
He was eager to help everyone and loved to be needed and helpful. David had a soft spot for the, quote, underdog or people that needed them. I personally feel like I can relate to the needed and helpful aspect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, I bet he was a two. I bet he was a two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is partly how David not only ended up with Andrew, but also how he ended up with a stalker ex-boyfriend. So he had dated a guy for a couple of years before. And when they broke up, he, this guy, I mean, went all out, stalking him, calling him like a hundred something times a day, mm. giving David's phone number to sex lines, um, calling his employer, sending new photos. Yes, that is employer. the worst part. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, and David had to change his number all the time. His ex-boyfriend spent some time in jail. It's like a whole thing. But David figured out that he was gay in college and had a hard time coming to terms with it. He was raised Lutheran and worried that his parents, specifically his dad, wouldn't accept him. However, when David came out to his father, Howard was more understanding than expected. Howard said later, I can't say that it didn't make any difference with me because I disagree with that type of life. However, that had nothing to do with what I thought of him or how I treated him. You know what? If you if you have to feel so close-minded about something and you don't agree with it, at least be like that guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Howard believes we all go to heaven as sinners. So what's the difference whether you lie, cheat, steal, you're gay, you murder. If you believe forgiveness is there, you've got just as good a chance as anybody else. So I don't look at David any differently. My feelings for David were no different. It's, uh, I'll take it. Yeah, it's not my favorite. It doesn't sit well with me necessarily. But mm-hmm. again, like you said, I'll take it. It's a 60% for me. It's, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Yeah. David's work ethic and passion for architecture, along with his charisma and magnetic personality, helped him succeed quickly. And he started working at John Ryan Company in Minneapolis, making over $70,000 a year. Damn. And Trilla, what's the inflation on that? Yeah. $123,000 now. And this is his early twenties. This is, that's amazing. I could not even afford a full tank of gas in my early twenties. Well, in our early twenties, we were definitely having that age old battle with ourselves where it's like, do we eat or do we shop? And shopping always won. Yeah. Or do I eat or do I order the margarita? Oh, margarita. It's the margarita because they're going to bring you chips. Well, yes. And if you get that big old fishbowl margarita and you only really need one. Oh, for sure. For the whole table. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When Andrew and David met, Andrew was technically with Norman, who was footing all of Andrew's bills. Andrew convinced David the reason he couldn't provide David with a phone number or an address was because his, Andrew's, insanely rich family had to keep unlisted so they didn't become the targets of a kidnapping plot. (sighs) I mean... They met in San Francisco every few weeks and they'd spend Norman's money. Um, And David had no idea about Norman, of course, or his money. So they'd go to fancy hotels. They'd eat at expensive restaurants, like the whole nine. And David is just thinking this guy is wealthy. Very loaded, yes. Andrew was very interested in porn. He'd been roommates with a guy named Eric Greenman who'd been in a few pornos. And Andrew watched more porn than most people have watched regular movies. Wow. That's a lot. His specific interest was in violent S&M porn. Again, I, it goes back to the, what are you doing? Are you fully twerked all day? I know. It's like on Friends when they get the porn channel <laughs> and they just are sitting there like having lunch and watching porn. Yeah, because they're like, we can't, tur- if we turn it off, we might lose it. So it's like they somehow get the free porn and then they finally are like, oh, I'm just so tired of it. Like, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Though Andrew never revealed his propensity for rough, rough S&M to Norman, Andrew did introduce David to S&M, but David was never into it like Andrew was. And Andrew would even complain that David wouldn't let him go as far as he wanted. David, well, oh, go ahead. I mean, okay, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, just because you have an interest in something doesn't mean everybody else is going to. And little... Uh-huh obnoxious, you know, spoiled baby Andrew was like, I didn't get what I wanted. Exactly. Like, it has to be two consenting adults. Mm-hmm, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. David would tell his friends that sex with Andrew was not great, and Andrew made him uncomfortable. I mean, if you're constantly pushing somebody past their comfort levels, then... That would be uncomfortable. They're probably going to be like, you know what? Not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. It's, it's been, I guess it's been interesting, but let's not do that anymore. Yeah. Andrew's friends, though, recall him being head over heels in love with David. And he literally viewed David as the love of his life. Like, hands down, man of his dreams, love of his life, all the Uh things. That's uncomfortable when it's one-sided. Exactly, because he's just not that into you because of all Mm -hmm. the other things. Like, David started to feel like, I don't think he's telling the truth about everything. He makes me very uncomfortable. He doesn't respect my boundaries. Like, there's all these things, and he's just like, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Yeah, I could see Andrew's per- Andrew's personality is very, very aggressive. And he probably comes on way too strong. Yeah. Oh, way too strong. Yeah. In 1996, Norman was looking over the money Andrew was spending and he was done with Andrew's lack of motivation and the fact that Andrew was not contributing anything to this relationship, not even sex. If you have a business deal, no matter what kind of business deal it is, you got to hold up your end. Yep. I mean, my God. Yeah. Norman's final straw was when Andrew decided he needed a $126,000 Mercedes SL 600 convertible, and that would be over 200K now. He needs this on top of everything else that he's got. He's already got an infinity. Yeah. Okay. But I need it. I need it. It's like, excuse me, yo, Trey. Do you <laughs> think you could buy me this bottle exactly. of <laughs> Andrew actually had a list of demands for Norman. I don't think he's in a position to be demanding, but okay. Yeah. He's literally like the guy who like walks in as an extra on a movie set or something and being like, okay, I need white roses in my room. I need all, (laughs) you know, I need M&Ms in a bowl and all the brown ones picked out. Like, yes, yes, yes. So you're an extra. Okay. You don't get a room. (laughs) Right. Like, let's, let's take it down a few notches. (laughs) Yes. So his demands included. Buy him the new Mercedes, provide first-class flights, increase Andrew's <laughs> allowance, and name Andrew in his will. Wow. And Norman was like, uh, a fuck, a no. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Andrew to, uh, threatened to leave if his demands weren't met, and Norman was the only person in Andrew's life to put his foot down. Like, literally, <laughs> he was like, okay, and if you don't give me this, then I'm leaving. And Norman was like, bye. bye. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, <gasps> What? Like, he's never been told no. Never. Had the nerve Uh to tell me no. Yeah, like he thought he was the catch there. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. honey. (sighs) No, Norman is the catch. Norman is the catch. Yes, exactly. Yikes. Yuck. You didn't realize that. Mm -mm. So before Andrew moved out, he wrote Norman a letter stating Andrew would allow Norman to decide how much Andrew should get as his palimony to compensate for his year of service. Jeez, oh, Pete. Norman wrote a check for $15,000 and left for a trip. But when Andrew tried to deposit the check, he was informed that any check exceeding $10,000 had to be reported to the IRS by law. 
Andrew tried to sweet talk the teller, but she declined, breaking the law. And Andrew left without depositing the check. So he got nothing. <laughs> because he refuses to pay taxes on it. Yeah. He's exactly. like, are you fucking kidding me? I gotta pay taxes? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You want, you want okay. me to pay taxes now? This is crazy. What do you want? <laughs> Ludicrous. <laughs> Andrew was probably feeling pretty rejected because he was going through a breakup with Norman. David was also ending their friendship, their relationship. So David had had enough of Andrew's lies and empty promises. Jeff Trail was also losing his patience with Andrew. Yeah, because they're so, all like, they're these two people are trying to see the good in him. Mm-hmm. And he is consistently just doing what he does. And finally, they're like, I have given you the benefit of the doubt like 150 times now. You're a liar. Like, yeah, we're done here. Yeah, we're done. Yep. So everybody at this point is turning their backs on Andrew. I mean, everybody's distancing themselves. You cannot blame them. Andrew would visit Jeff and David and quickly wear out his welcome. But Andrew never picked up on Jeff and David's exhaustion with him. I mean, again, it's just like he can't read a room. Like, yeah, exactly. You do. You are not self-aware uh-uh. at all. And he just doesn't care. Like, Right. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I feel like Andrew reminds me of Jackie from that 70s show uh-huh. because <laughs> she's like, I'm not going to listen to this unless it's about me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love Jackie. I know. If he could I mean, have been that's, more like Jackie, this would have been just such a great story. And that's how you here. spin it in a funny way. Yeah, exactly. So poor Andrew had been forced to sell his infinity to pay for necessities like crystal meth and cocaine. Well, at least he knows it's important in life. Yeah, priorities. His drug use was causing him to be more unpredictable and irrational. He was very angry a lot of the time and the drugs exacerbated those rages. Not only was he using crystal meth and cocaine, he was also using morphine and Demerol so he could sleep. Oh my gosh, that is so dangerous. Yes, and he's also drinking on top of that. Excessively, yes. It's increasing as he goes along. I mean... He's definitely, he's unraveling. There's a big problem here. He's mm-hmm. completely living on drugs and alcohol. It's so sad. Yes. By the time Andrew left California for the last time, he'd maxed out his platinum card and it was reported that he owed over $40,000 on two credit cards. Thanks. As Andrew Da Silva, he filed for bankruptcy, but managed to talk his way into getting a one-way ticket to Minneapolis and began giving away his possessions. And as we know from a lot of other cases that we covered, once you once somebody starts giving away their possessions, something bad or sinister or ominous is about to happen. Yeah, for sure. And like, how good of a sweet talker are you that you owe that much on your credit cards and you're like, um, I'm going to totally pay for that later. Can you let me though charge one ticket, one more thing? And they're like, fine. Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, okay. On Thursday, April 24th, Andrew threw his own going away party that was described as somber and as if Andrew was holding his own wake, which he would totally want to do. Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The next day, Andrew left for Minneapolis. David and Jeff were not happy that Andrew was coming and they dreaded having to deal with him. But since neither of them wanted to tell Andrew, they never expressed their feelings. Friday, April Thanks. 25th, Andrew's friend drove him to the airport and remembers Andrew repeatedly commenting how he hated Johnny Versace calling, I called it, said Versace, my God, Johnny Versace calling him pretentious, pompous, and ostentatious. Oops, were you holding a mirror up? I know. And also you met him once. By accident, he thought you were somebody else. Like, And the reason why you hate him so much is you hate him because 
you ain't him. Exactly. Yeah. And he, cause he's telling people, well, I have dinner with him once a year or whatever. We totally keep in touch. He brings me places with him and blah, 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 whatever. And people <laughs> figure that out and they're like, that guy's full of shit. I love blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and now it's fucking Versace's fault that you suck. Yeah. It's fucking Versace's fault. I don't even fucking think so. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Fuck you, man. Yeah. Fuck you, man. Well, in very classic cliffhanger Eek. fashion, we're going to leave it right there. Yep. We're going to get into his spree in the next episode. Yep. So, you know, if you're a patron, you got it right now. Bingo bongo, ready to go. If you're not a patron, ain't no thing. You can get it next week. Or if you want to get it early, just jump on the yeah. Patreon. $3 yeah. a month will get you this episode ad-free and right now. Exactly. And I want to leave you with this. If you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. Mm-hmm. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Okay. That's what you, that's what you that's want all to I wanted to say. Okay. That's all I wanted to say. I think it's words of wisdom. Oh, well, I think it is too. Words to live by. That's true. Words to live by. That needs to be on a cross stitch for sure. 100%. Yeah. Get on that. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we go today, we have got some shout outs and full transparency. We missed a couple mm. from back in the day. I printed off the form and I don't know what to do with it. So anyway, here it is. So if you are on this list, you probably thought before now that we forgot you. And we're so sorry. Yes. So sorry. We could never forget you. We just misplaced you. <laughs> but we found you. Yay. Yeah. So... Hey girl, thanks to Delena, Reba Barnes. Is this Danielle? You think? Maybe. Danielle? Danielle? Maybe? Jaina LaRue. Sarah Alger. Ariella Zuri. Emily Bollinger. Mercedes I. Anderson. Jessica Boyce. Kristen. Chelsea Eckerman. Ashley Goodwin. Lily Gates. Lynn. Crystal Gupton. Lorraine DeFlorio, Bronte Dealey, Kaylee MacBrenner, Jennifer Settles, Rebecca, Kinsey, Audrey Erickson, Peyton Stinson, Cheyenne Ramsey, Autumn Peace, Ali Despians, Beth McKay, Amber Swisher, Serena Wasdorp, Vivi Von Plump, mm-hmm. Taryn Mancera, Valerie Martinez, Jessica Brinson, Samantha Romaine, Matt Mayer, Mara Grace, Paula Rojas, Haley McMore, Leslie, Anna Hunter, Stacy Miller, Julie Kraft, Amanda Fenton, Jess Krigger, Team Jomovic, Carmen, Amber, Amy Medina, Lauren Darty. Thank you. Can't do it. Jessica Nidegger. Yay. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Thank you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.